Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with New York Times bestselling and multiple award-winning author, Tana French. Her latest novel, The Secret Place, is the fifth in her Dublin Murder Squad series, and the paperback edition of the book was just released. Tana, welcome. Hi, Stephen. It's great to be here. Great to have you on the show. You're calling, or I'm talking, I'm in Florida. You are where? I'm in Dublin in Ireland, and I'm betting you have better weather than we do. <laughs> Based on what I've seen of uh, a couple recent golf tournaments, I have no doubt of that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's get into it. Tell, tell listeners a little bit about The, uh, the Secret Place. Well, in The Secret Place, Stephen Moran, who was kind of a sidekick in my third book, Faithful Place, he's a narrator this time. And he's on the cold case squad now, but he's longing for his shot at the murder squad. And one day, Holly Mackey, who was a nine-year-old in Faithful Place, she brings it to him. <clears throat> Excuse me. She goes to a very elite girls' school on the outskirts of Dublin, and they have a notice board called The Secret Place, where the girls can uh, reveal their secrets anonymously, like if, you know, you hate your parents this <laughs> week, or you're madly in love with some guy, or whatever it might be, you can put that on a postcard and pin it up on The Secret Place. And Holly has found a card that has a photograph of a guy from the neighboring boys' school who was murdered on the grounds a year ago. It's still unsolved. And the caption says, I know who killed him. So she brings that card into Stephen, and he has to figure out how to follow up on it. I find it interesting the way you are moving through this series of yours. You mentioned that Stephen was sort of a sidekick in a previous book. The series is it, – it, it has some continuing characters, but the, the protagonist seems to be different in each one. Uh, can you kind of walk us through the way you've structured this series? Yeah, it's kind of chain links. You're right. It's usually a secondary character from one book will become the narrator in the next book. That the plan when I started, I, God, I didn't have a plan. I had <laughs> like a plan. But I, I still don't. But I like writing books that are about the crucial turning point in the narrator's life, the moment where whatever this narrator decides, the rest of his or her life is going to be affected by that. And there's a limit to how many times you can dump the same narrator into huge life-changing situations without him winding up in a straitjacket, you know? So I figured, as I was starting to think about a second book, I realized, okay, I can do the classic series thing and follow the one narrator through the more minor ups and downs of life, like, say, like Pity James does with Adam Dalreach, mm -hmm. or I can put the poor guy into huge life-changing situations and give him a mental breakdown in a year or two. And... <laughs> Or else, I can switch narrator. And while I love reading the P.D. James-style classic series, I wasn't as interested in writing it, because I, I think it makes the narrator slightly more disengaged from the book, if you do it that way. If the, book, if the action of the book isn't crucial to the narrator's life, you know, thematically, in plot terms, it makes the narrator a bit less integrated into the book. And I like, I like writing where the narrator is... It's crucial. It's at the heart of the action of the book. And so I decided to switch from one narrator to the other. And that's what I've been doing since. I like it also because it gives me more scope to explore the characters from different viewpoints. Like somebody who can seem, um, in Faithful Place, for example, one of the secondary characters, Scorcher Kennedy, comes across as a pompous, rule-bound git, basically. <laughs> but that's because that's how the narrator, Frank, needs to see him. Whereas in the next book, Broken Harbor, Scorcher is the narrator, and he's a lot more deep and more thoughtful and more damaged 
that he came across in Faithful Place. I, I like that. I like the idea of exploring different people's perceptions of the same character. And it seems like readers enjoy it. I, I was out doing some research this morning, and I found some blogs that particularly follow your work. And uh, apparently there's like a guessing game, like who's going to be the protagonist in the next <laughs> book? <laughs> <laughs> you have like a sweepstakes, and I get a, get a signed copy to whoever gets it right first. That's a great idea. Now, do you, as you're writing, when you were writing The Secret Place, did you have a sense of, I'm going to pluck this character out and make him or her the protagonist in the next book? Or do you just wait until it's time for the next book and figure it all out? happens is there's a point about halfway through writing any book where my mind suddenly decides it wants to do absolutely anything else other than what I'm supposed to be doing, right? It's uh-huh. like, oh, I should really clean the inside of the cooker. Or, oh my God, maybe if we dyed a pink stripe down the back of the cat, that'd be so cool. You know, suddenly I just, my mind is on anything else. But luckily for me, it doesn't, it's not just cat dying. It's um, I usually come up with an idea for the next book because it's like, oh, instead of writing this book, wouldn't it be really cool to write about this other character? I bet that would be much more interesting. Mm-hmm. So then my husband has to spend a while telling me to finish this one, and then I can go play with the next one, and it'll all be great. So, yeah, usually by about half, two-thirds of the way through one book, I've come up with an idea for the next one. <laughs> That's interesting. And so it's your husband and probably the threat of the publisher whipping you if you don't get this one done <laughs> and you get right on to the next book. <laughs> I hand in a whole bunch of two, the first two-thirds of every book. That would be great, yeah. Now, I, I see that the Murder Squad series is perhaps going to be made into a television show over on uh, in your part of the world. It possibly. I mean, it's the first four books. There, there, are, there is, I think, a deal basically in place. But, you know, 90% of these things come to nothing, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to be heartbroken if it all dissolves into nothing. But it would be fascinating to see, because I, from having been an actor for a while, I know enough to know that the demands of the genre are so totally different from a novel that it's gonna, it will have to change in some ways. And the people involved are great, so I absolutely trust them that when they change it, they're going to change it in ways that are consistent with the characters in the books. But it is going to be different, so I'm just fascinated to see what's going to happen. <laughs> That's, that sounds like it'll be fun. And it's the kind of thing that over here in our part of the world, we get the BBC-type television on PBS, and we get the Masterpiece Mysteries. Yeah. And I could just picture this as a part of that, something that's just must-see TV like Sherlock is right now when they come out. <laughs> Not often enough. I have to say to me, the idea of these being actually of being able to switch on my telly and see one of these on screen is just kind of mind-boggling. <laughs> it really is. How much time do you spend picking actors and actresses for the parts? Any? In my own head. Occasionally I've written a part with an actor in mind uh, who I know, usually somebody who I know, going, ah, so-and-so will be really great for this part, and so-and-so will be really great for this. Just somebody I've worked with or something like that. But um, I, every now and then you do find yourself doing the fantasy casting, but to a large extent the characters are so real in my head after having written them for two years that it's really weird thinking of any anybody playing any of them. It's more like it's like picturing somebody playing one of my friends. You know? <laughs> How does that work? It's strange. It's going to be interesting. All right. How did you? How do you age your characters? In this book, there are there are a group of women. Uh, one of one of whom, Holly, was in a previous book. Um, she was much younger then in, in your own mind how how did you age her that was actually it's really interesting you should ask that you're the first person who's asked that and it's it was 
was one of the more difficult things in writing this book because I wanted to get it right because I liked writing the character of Holly in Faithful Place where she was nine. And I liked her then. She's smart. She's loving. She's strong-willed. She's devious. And she's independent. And she's... Yeah, very fiercely loving to the people she cares about. And I thought she would make a really interesting teenager when this kind of maelstrom of teenage emotions and uh, decisions kicks in. But I wanted to get it right. I wanted her to be the same person as she was, but with that transformation. And so I started thinking about the things that being a teenager does, the priorities that change as you become a teenager, and how that would influence who she was as a person. And I hope I got it right. It feels just about right, but it's so hard to tell. Yeah, I really hope I got that one right. (laughs) All right, great answer. Um, How would you describe your writing style? For for people that read a lot of crime fiction, like my listeners, it's it's a little different than we're used to. It's very descriptive. It's rich. Uh, It's almost poetic and lyrical uh, in the prose. How, How would you describe your writing style? Well, I know it's been described a fair few times as being literary mystery, mm-hmm. which I kind of like because I like the idea that the genre boundaries are getting more fluid. It's not so much, you don't have to stick with the genre conventions as much as you did 20, 30 years ago, and it was kind of expected that a mystery would fit certain parameters. Although even then, I mean, there were loads of people breaking those conventions. idea that if you call it literary mystery, you can expect a mixture of genres. I think there are more and more writers nowadays who are going, hey, listen, I'll take the best, the things I love most of several different genres and try to bring them together into one. And that's that's very much what I do, because I don't see why readers should have to expect just one thing, should have to do, expect just, like, a tight-knit, gripping plot or just excellent writing or just depth of characterization. I, in many ways, to try and bring all of those in. Now, to what extent I succeed, I'd say it varies from book to book and from (laughs) part to part, but that's what I'm aiming for, at least. Have you been surprised by the success of the series? And and, as you said, when you started this, you didn't really have a plan, but as the plan has evolved, (laughs) have you thought, wow, I've got more and more readers that are reading this, I've got to satisfy them. You know, does the pressure ramp up? I I guess it's a, a couple of questions there. The success of it has absolutely blown me away. Yeah, I'm I'm repeatedly blown away. I still, you know, there's a part of me I think that still hasn't got used to the fact that these books are actually being published. <laughs> never mind the people are actually reading. <laughs> it still stuns me occasionally. They sent me um, paperback copies a couple of weeks ago, and I was looking at them, going, "Oh my God, they're real! They're going to be in shops. People might buy them." Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I still haven't assimilated that part. But when it comes to writing to reader expectations, the thing is that readers aren't one solid unit. And I know from reading emails from readers that they have, they like such different things about the book, or mm-hmm. they dislike such different things about the book. Like, the, the most obvious example is the ending of In the Woods, my first book, does not stick to genre conventions. And there are readers who are really annoyed about that, and I, you know, I can understand that. But there are other readers who love it, and think that the book would be 
like immeasurably weaker if I had tried to shoehorn it into those genre conventions. And I cannot, there's no way I could have written something that would have made that both groups of readers satisfied. So I think I learned very early on with the response to In the Woods that readers are so diverse. There isn't a way that you can write to all of their expectations. So the only thing you can do is write the absolute best book you're capable of and hope that it's good enough. All right, Tana, thank you so much for your time. I know we're bumping up against a deadline. The book is available everywhere people can buy books, right? Well, I'm hoping so. (laughs) Okay. All right, what's the best way for, for listeners to keep up with what you're doing with the series? Well, any uh, news, it's usually on my website. It's www.tanafrench.com. And I will link to that in the show notes for this program. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much for having me on. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.crimefiction.fm. If you like what we're doing here, the best way to support the show is to pop on over to iTunes and give the show a rating or a review. Those will help other readers find great new books, like The Secret Place, 